You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. news to get to on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball from milb.com hi everybody i am tyler mon sam dykstra is in new york city we've got so much to discuss today sam what's going on not not too much not too much yeah it is a it is a very busy week uh this week normally it would be the winter meetings uh i'd be talking to you from dallas uh you know we would work something out that way and it'd be a busy day we're coming to you we're recording this after the rule five drafts which is always a big day on the calendar but this year, it's like second place in this week, uh, which is crazy to think about, given all the news that went down on Wednesday, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Yeah, there was so much. Uh, Sam was actually initially scheduled to be off on Wednesday. I was going to work a day shift and kind of fill in for him, and then like all of the possible news that could have broken broke on that day. So Sam had to sit around and just look at the tweets anyway, which is never fun for for anyone. Um, <laughs> but we're going to dive into all that coming up here momentarily. Thanks for getting in touch uh, with the show. If you have, we're fielding your questions. If you are uh, confused about what the structure is going to look like for minor league baseball going forward and all that type of stuff, we encourage you send in your questions, podcast at MILB.com, or you can tweet at us at MILB. Sam Dykstra is at Sam Dykstra MILB. I'm a Tyler on uh, we've gotten some questions in already we'll uh you know kind of try to parse all of the developments just from this week and then uh the larger story of things as we get closer to the end of the calendar year but here is the big story as it stands right now Back on September 30th, the professional baseball agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball expired. That is a thing that has been uh, renewed and tweaked and uh, used to govern the relationship between those two sides for decades. Obviously, going into 2021 and beyond, things are going to be very different in the relationship between Major League Baseball and Minor League affiliates. Essentially, Minor League affiliates are now going to be almost franchisees uh, or franchises, I should say, of the major league system. So uh, the major league minor league relationship, which I think a lot of people probably didn't understand all the full mechanics behind minor league baseball is a freestanding entity uh, entered into this agreement, the professional baseball agreement to operate affiliates and do all those sorts of things uh, under the PBA. Now that's all totally different going forward. What has come about as of this week is that Major League Baseball and its 30-member clubs have extended player development license uh, invitations to become affiliated partners for 2021 and beyond. Every team has now announced which of its four uh, affiliate levels will be filled by which club if they accept the invitations that they were extended this week. The last team to announce that as we're recording this right now, it's not uh, in our story, but the Colorado Rockies bring it up the rear because they uh, still had some things to work out trying to figure out a low A affiliate. Uh, but that seems to have all been nailed down. They announced their affiliates today. Um, we did see, of course, the New York Yankees were out uh, a few weeks ago talking about their affiliate structure, Minnesota Twins. There were developments as to who their affiliates would be, the Washington Nationals. So these things kind of came in drips and drabs over the last few weeks. But now we have, as it appears, all of the 120 invitations that have been extended. Um, there are a lot of teams, obviously, from the 160 that were part of the minor league baseball landscape as of 2019, and even, I guess, technically 2020, even though we didn't have a season. Um, obviously, a lot of those teams will not be back in the affiliated sense. Uh, but this is a huge week, and it's something that we have been waiting on for such a long time, Sam. Yeah, I mean, how many times have you and I on this show, Tyler, said – when announcements come, we will bring them to you. Right. And, and Wednesday was the day talking about things coming in drips and drabs. And I, I know that was very frustrating for a lot of people having the Yankees come out and out and say, you know, we're going to have teams in Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, uh, you know, Hudson Valley, Tampa and Somerset and everybody else, you know, in a flurry trying to figure out where things were going to land. We eventually found out Trenton was going to join the dream league. So, you know, they land on their feet in some aspect. Um, but yesterday on Wednesday uh, was the day in which we heard all this. And I want to harp on this really from the outset, because um, it's something that's really brought up, been brought up to us several times and something that's been hounded upon with us. Uh, these are invitations. So 
a lot of times people were trying to say the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, announce the 120, announce the 120. And insofar as this being an announcement, it came organization by organization. It would be, you know, the Arizona Diamondbacks tweeting out, these are our, these, these are who we have invited to be our new affiliates. And I harp on that word invitation because it, it, it's an invitation. The big league club extends it uh, to a potential partner but it still has to be accepted on the other end. So a lot of these clubs were excited to get these and, and that's great. And that, that means baseball affiliated baseball is still around in those cities. Um, but until they write back to say, we accept that invitation and right. there's a lot to go through in what involved gets involved in that. I think the athletic reported today that it's, a, it's something like a 56 page invitation. It's, this isn't like something in high school where you slid it across the desk and said, Will you go out with me? Yes or no? Circle yes or no. Yeah. Uh, this is a lot more complicated with that. There's going to be facility upgrades that need to happen. There's going to be a lot of other things that need to be negotiated out. There's going to be the terms of how long the agreement is going to go for. Tyler mentioned before uh, the Colorado Rockies were last to announce that. And that goes back to something we were talking about last week in which the city of Fresno uh, you know, was kind of at odds with they used to be a AAA town. And now the option on the table to them was being class A. What it sounds like, according to what the Grizzlies have announced, is the invitation that they were extended is for 15 years. Basically meaning, hey, don't leave us again for another decade and a half, uh, which is huge. That's great. That that means baseball is going to be in that area. And uh, Chick Chansey Park seems like an awesome place to see a game. And it's great that affiliated ball could be there for 15 years. But these are all things all these teams are considering. I think the best response on this front that I saw from a minor league club. And there might've been other ones out there. I mean, again, 120 teams sending out 120 messages, very decent chance. I missed one, but the Tacoma Rainiers had a great response to this. And I'll read their statement here. We have a great relationship with the Mariners in case you didn't know they were the Mariners AAA affiliate. They've been invited to come back as the Mariners AAA affiliate. We have a great relationship with the Mariners and look forward to continuing the relationship, but we just received this morning an outline of the proposed deal and structure of the new relationship with Major League Baseball and cannot accept the invitation until we've had time to review the deal that will govern our sport and this relationship for decades to come. So just because invitations have been extended, and I highly doubt that Tacoma is not going to agree to it, there's that uh, partnership goes back a long time now. But um, you know, just because that invitation has been extended there's going to be a lot of legalese to go through. There's going to be a lot of things to hammer out before teams send stuff back. It seems like we're not going to hear back until maybe mid-January, late January, that all 120 teams have accepted. Now, I'm not saying these are the 120 that are all going to accept. There's going to be some things that might be hammered out. We could see, theoretically, uh, a team drop out and say, no, we can't do this. We'd rather go the independent route and we might see some finagling in that way. Um, you know, hopefully not. I, I would hate to tease fans like that and get an invitation and get excited for 2021 only for the rug to be pulled out in that way. But uh, I understand that this is a partnership. It, 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 it's a two-way partnership. Um, so just keep that in mind while all of this is happening. Now, that being said, Tyler, when, when this stuff was rolling in, which of the, were there any of the announcements that like kind of stood out to you as, Hey, that's kind of a unique partnership, or that's a group that seems kind of fun to to think about for 2021. You know what? The, the one that I think first laid into my head how different everything was going to look was Amarillo going with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Uh, the Sod Poodles obviously won a, a Texas League title in their first season, and uh, they were very much the member of the Padres organization that you kind of uh, heard about as the the fun new kid on the block and. All of a sudden, they're D-backs affiliate. Um, well, not technically yet, but if they uh, choose to go forward with the agreement that they were uh, extended, the invitation that they were extended, um, you know, that was one of them. I know it was a, a very tense, uh, well, all of 2020, but really last few weeks for a lot of teams. I know a, a friend of mine who works for a double-A team that uh, over the last few weeks had been texting me asking if I knew anything about their franchise and whether or not it was going to be extended an invitation. There are a lot of people whose livelihoods were hanging in the balance with this. Um, 
there are a lot of people whose livelihoods are going to be very changed. I mean, I always think about things from a, a broadcaster's point of view. In the circumstance of Fresno, for example, if you woke up in 2019 and you were a, in a, on a AAA broadcast team, now all of a sudden in 2021 and beyond, you're a member of the now low-A Cal League, um, things look very different for you. Uh, there are so many different layers to this that I think will be dissecting um, for a long time, not just as the 2021 season goes on, um, but even beyond that, it's a very different looking landscape for minor league baseball. And obviously there are a lot of communities that are going to have uh, non-affiliated ball are going to be seeing, you know, collegiate summer ball and all that type of stuff. Um, I think there is still a lot of reason to be optimistic that those ventures will be successful, successful. I know um, the Lexington legends who are not extended an invitation uh, by a major league club. They had a really good statement that their team brass put out saying, Hey, the reason we're successful is because of the product we provide for fans and for families and the things that we are able to do as a, an entertainment and a fun destination uh, for our community. And I think that will still ring true with the teams that were not extended invitations. Uh, but as far as the, the groups that were, there's a lot of really interesting um, setups. You know, I know one of them that kind of sticks out the fact that uh, Dayton and Daytona just swapped, situation swap positions in the uh in the cincinnati reds organization with daytona now being uh in the class a florida state league dayton gets bumped up to class a advanced um that's one thing that kind of stood out a lot of systems do look largely the same i mean you take a an organization like cleveland uh columbus akron lake county and lynchburg those four teams have all been in the organization uh for quite some time now lake county and lynchburg are going to flop uh, as class A and class A advanced, um, you know, Detroit's the same way Toledo, Erie, West Michigan, Lakeland. Um, but you know, Houston bringing in a formerly affiliated, uh, unaffiliated club, a formerly independent club in the Sugarland Skeeters, that's not going to be their triple A club. Um, one of the longest affiliations in all of professional baseball, major league and minor league baseball, the Colorado Rockies and the Asheville tourists no longer together. Asheville now will be the class A advanced affiliate of the Houston Astros. Uh, so there is so much, I haven't even really gotten to look up and down this list uh, as closely as I would like, but there are going to be so many things that as we get closer to 2021, you think, oh man, that team is there now, or this team is at this level now uh, that we've just gotten so used to so many of these organizations being in certain spots. And those are all going to look different going forward. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple situations here. I think the class a class a advanced switch is very popular here. And, and a lot of that is the idea of starting your younger prospects um, in warmer environments. So one thing I, I also want to harp on here quick is we haven't gotten official league announcements yet either. Right. We've right. gotten these team announcements about invitations and all that. And there is a very specific reason why we haven't got league announcements yet is because we don't know who's accepted. Um, so we can, you can kind of piece things together pretty easily um, obviously there are plans for if all 120 accepted, this is what things would look like, but in terms of official announcements, those haven't come yet, but yeah, we can, we can pretty much say right now that the Florida state league becomes a class a league. Big reason for that being, you know, you, you have your spring training facility in Florida. Um, all, a lot of those guys are already going to be down there. It's just so much easier to get them settled in a warm weather state in April and May. Um, so that's kind of cool. I am looking forward to, you brought up Cincinnati as an example of this. One thing I want to shout out real quick, uh, Daytona sticking around, uh, Jackie Robinson ballpark sticking around is awesome. Uh, it seems like no team, at least that I saw on social media, I know there, this is not a slight against anybody else, but it seemed like Daytona really went to bat uh, for keeping the Tortugas around. And that obviously paid, paid off and came through. Um, but keeping an historic stadium like Jackie Robinson ballpark around is, is really special, but I'm looking forward to like the first guy we talked to who was at class a Dayton and is now at class a advanced Dayton. Um, that's going to be very funny to me. It might not be as funny to you at home, but that, it's just funny how that's going to work out. Um, the Chicago white Sox, I think are the only system that's completely unchanged both in terms of teams and level. And we'll talk to Ben about this later, but it, it's funny to me that, all of these teams in the White Sox system, Charlotte, Birmingham, Winston-Salem, Kannapolis, are in North Carolina or Alabama um, for a Chicago land team. Just yeah. the way that works out. Just kind of funny on that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, looking at, at some of these other ones, Minnesota is fascinating to add St. Paul um, as an independent league team. 
now, uh, you know, it, it's going to be so much easier to call guys up from AAA. Rochester becomes a Washington affiliate. It's going to be so much easier for the Nats to call up AAA guys. It's not as close as St. Paul to Minneapolis, but Rochester to DC is a lot easier than Fresno to DC. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, we're going to, it's going to be a lot of pouring over this in the weeks to come. Once everything is settled and official, um, there's just going to be so many explainers that it's, that's going to be coming from our site in terms of here's what's changed. Here's what you need to know. Let's say, you know, you, you became a Yankees fan or you are a Yankees fan and you want to know stuff about the Somerset Patriots or something about the Hudson Valley, uh, renegades, even though they're kind of a local team still, they used to be a Rays affiliate. Now there's a, they, they're a Yankees affiliate. What do you want to know about them? That'll come when everything is settled and set, but it's good to have this now and start thinking about this kind of stuff. And there's going to be a lot of stuff still to come in, in the weeks ahead in terms of uh, banging out agreements and, and trying to maybe go back and forth or uh, what have you. But yeah, it's good to have this settled at least somewhat in terms of invitations right now. Yeah. One thing that's also interesting, we heard so much in the early discussions about what this restructuring would look like about how there was a lot of emphasis on making uh, geographic footprints a little bit more logical for a lot of these organizations. You know, the Washington Nationals were a perfect example the last few years having their AAA affiliate in Fresno, California. And for some teams, things have worked out very well. I mean, for the New York Mets, for example, with the exception of Class A St. Lucie, uh, which will be at their spring training home, they have three affiliates in the state of New York with Brooklyn, which will be a Class A advanced team, uh, Binghamton, which will stay in AA, and Syracuse, which will be in AAA. Uh, Minnesota, you know, Sam touched on the fact that St. Paul now gets to be the AAA affiliate for a, a team that's in Minneapolis. But then you look at some of the organizations that don't have that. Uh, the Los Angeles Angels are a good example. They've got a, a AAA affiliate in Salt Lake. Their AA affiliate is the Rocket City Trash Band is in Madison, Alabama. Class A Advance will be Tri-City in Pasco, Washington. And then they've got a Class A California League team in San Bernardino, California. Uh, the Rockies are another example. Albuquerque will be AAA. Hartford, Connecticut is AA. Uh, Class A Advance now will be Spokane, so up in the Pacific Northwest. And then Class A is Fresno, so they're all over the map too. So I think Early on in this process, there was a lot of discussion of how much sense that would make, but there are natural roadblocks to all of this. And yes, theoretically, there would be closer geographic partners for some of these teams, but that doesn't mean that those partners would be able to work in the footprint of a league or a level where they need to be. So it doesn't work out perfectly for everybody. Um, But I do think that a lot of systems seem to have been somewhat more streamlined than maybe where they were in the past. Um, obviously there are some, some tough situations for, you know, Wichita comes to mind, a team that uh, will be playing in a brand new ballpark that the city built, believing they were getting a triple a club. Now there'll be a double a team. Um, and seeing some things like that, where it's just, okay, well, 2021, if you would have asked us all five years ago, what baseball was going to look like in 2021, I don't think we would have picked that it would look like this. Uh, but I do think that there are a lot of things that come out of this that are going to be um, potentially very rejuvenating for minor league baseball in a lot of these communities and uh, a lot of things that open doors to the future promotion and growth of the game uh, in a way that is different than what has been going on in the relationship between major league baseball, and minor league baseball for the last several decades. Yeah. And j- just to add one to the pile um, that I'm particularly excited about. And I think this is going to be great for the area, uh, the Miami Marlins system, what's proposed right now, what's been sent out as invitations Jacksonville becoming AAA. Um, everything we've heard about the Jumbo Shrimp the last couple of years seems like they have a really well-run organization. That's a big city. Crying out loud, they have an NFL team. Um, now that's a AAA city. Pensacola now becomes a Miami Marlins affiliate. And then you still have Jupiter at Class A. So that's three of the four affiliates for the Marlins are going to be within the Sunshine State at a time when I don't think the Marlins system has ever been this exciting. Um, and one of the things about the Marlins the last couple of years has been, um, you know, trying to generate excitement. And this would have been a potential year for that uh, with them making the playoffs and all, but they weren't able to play in front of fans. So it would be, I know Jacksonville and Pensacola are at other ends of the state and Jupiter's just up the road. But um, in terms of getting more fans and getting more excited, it's so much easier to do that when the minor league affiliates are relatively close. Um, So that's that's pretty exciting to me also in that marlin system beloit is now the class a advanced affiliate um 
you'll note at home that that's Beloit, Wisconsin, not anywhere near Florida, but they are opening up a new field there in Beloit. Um, so that's exciting that uh, that's going to stick around and that's going to have class A advanced ball now. So I, we'll see how some of these partnerships are going to work once they're agreed to, once everything's signed on the dotted line. Uh, but some of these, you can see that concentrating it around the home park, I think is only going to be mutually beneficial for both major and minor league clubs. It is going to be a, a very interesting next few weeks and next couple of months as the major league and minor league relationship and landscape for 2021 and beyond uh, take shape. Is there anything we missed? I feel like there was so much to discuss with this topic that I probably missed something. What did I miss, Sam? Um, I don't, I don't know if we've quite missed any. I mean, okay. some of the other, some of the other things we'll just point we were out. Perfect. Real, it was perfect. Well, it was perfect. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that's definitely not true. <laughs> But uh, what, some other things we should just point out in terms of geography and, and teams being involved. One of the exciting things is the Northwest League, at least teams that were in the Northwest League previously are now full season affiliates. That's pretty cool. We, we saw some of the New York Penn League, you mentioned Hudson Valley and Brooklyn, um, them joining full, full season ball. But now Northwest League affiliates are, have been invited uh, to join in on that as well. I'm particularly looking at Vancouver. Uh, becoming a yeah. Class A advanced team. There was some reporting earlier in this offseason that Vancouver could potentially become an A's affiliate. It actually made the most sense for them to continue on as a Jays affiliate. I know Canada is a massive country, uh, but when there is one Canadian minor league team that's literally called the Canadians and there is one Canadian major league team, please, yeah. you would hope that, that those seems like teams... a thing that just should happen. Right, exactly. So uh, I'm excited about that. I'm excited. I think we did this during the year, um, what our minor league road trips would be. Um, and we'll talk a little about this later with Ben, but you can still do some of these minor league road trips. You know, if these clubs have, if you wanted to make a trip through the Appy League, that's still available to you. These places, hopefully, some of which have already been announced. Hopefully others will be announced soon. Um, but you can still incorporate those teams. But the idea, my pick was to go through the Northwest and for that to still be around is, is kind of exciting. Um, so keep an eye out for what the actual official league announcements will be. Again, we'll put those on the site when they come out, when everything is, is settled and, and officially confirmed. But um, yeah, it's it cool that we can actually put together these pieces and have them down right now, at least in terms of invitations. Teams will have until minor league teams that it will, will have until December 18th. Uh, to make their determination on whether or not they want to move forward after getting the first look at these player development license invitations. So uh, obviously we will continue to keep you updated on how your favorite franchise's system looks. I can't promise that we're, we're not going to go individually through everybody's favorite team and their organization. But uh, if you have some questions about yours, you can feel free to get in touch podcast at MILB.com. Um, another big day around the, uh, the baseball world was earlier today. Uh, that was a terrible sentence that barely made any sense, but the rule five draft uh, and we're going to talk about it after the break. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you, based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. There were actual on-field baseball-related things uh, as it pertains to where players will be in 2021, maybe different from their uh, current organizations as the uh, winter meetings being held virtually uh, for the 2020 offseason. Ordinarily, this would be one of the real – uh, marking posts of the offseason. Well, we've hit Rule 5 draft day, and Sam would be in a room somewhere in, you know, 
Nashville or Orlando or wherever it is following along with the Rule 5 draft. Today, Thursday, December 10th, Rule 5 draft was held virtually, of course, due to the pandemic, like the rest of the winter meetings being held virtually this year. And 18 players were chosen in the major league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Uh, It actually turned out to be a pretty active day, which I think going into this year, not a whole lot of people were sure what to expect with the Rule 5 draft. But today in the major league and minor league phases, there was a lot that went on. Yeah, no, there was. Uh, it was really interesting to to weigh like expectations for this coming in. We didn't get to talk too much of this last week, but uh, I wrote a preview about the the Rule Five Draft on Tuesday, and I said, "Listen, there are a couple factors going into this. You know, this is not happening in a vacuum of trying to predict the Rule Five Draft." Uh, on one hand, there was no minor league baseball in 2020. Not breaking news if you're listening to this podcast, but something I want to point out, anyways. So what does that mean for the Rule 5 draft? It means that guys weren't pitching in front of scouts for the most part. Um, there were some scouts at Instructs. You might get some reports out of the alt sites if guys were there. But otherwise, you didn't have you know your Carolina-based scout coming back with what somebody looked like at Class A Advanced or you know your Southern-based scout coming back with reports on a second baseman in the Southern League. Um, this was all based on previous stuff, and, and teams have – data on data on data and scouting reports on a lot of these guys going back years. So it's, it's not shocking, but you want the most recent stuff, especially when the rule five draft is all about taking guys and making sure they can stick on the major league roster. So you want somebody who was maybe throwing 93, 94 in 2019 and is now throwing 97, 98. Those are the guys you're going to be targeting. So on one hand, maybe teams were going to be a little gun shy in the rule five draft because they didn't have the most recent data. On the other hand, 2020, it was only a 60-game Major League regular season, obviously played without scouts. Again, I'm not breaking any news to anybody. But revenues were down. Teams are crying poor. You can believe them or not. Take it for what it's worth. Um, But if teams are looking to make cheap acquisitions this offseason, you're never going to find something cheaper than the Rule 5 draft in terms of what you have to do. It costs $100,000 to make a pick. If the guy doesn't stick, you can offer him back to the original club at $50,000. It's very low risk. Um, you're paying a guy's salary at the lowest level that's rookie-based salary. If it works, great. If it doesn't, you, you lost fifty grand. That's it, which for baseball owners is nothing and is very much nothing in terms of a baseball budget. Um, so I, I thought it kind of getting pulled in two different directions. What ended up happening? There were 18 players picked, uh, which is tied for the most since 2010. Uh, I believe when there were 19 players picked. So it was kind of ordinary in that way, um, which was a little bit of a relief. It's, it's nice get to, to get back to normal baseball things and, and realize something like this felt like wearing it, you know, an old, uh, an old hoodie in a way. Um, but yeah, it was kind of interesting to see how that came in and how, how many teams were participating in the process. This uh, is such an uncertain point of the offseason if you're somebody who is Rule 5 eligible. And uh, there were names that I think we probably expected to go. Was there anybody who especially stood out among players who were taken or players who were eligible and not taken in the draft this year that, that you really want to hit on, Sam? Um, yeah. They really want to really point out. I guess. Yes. I don't yes. know if you want to hit on them or not. <laughs> I, that's okay. We're going we're gonna to keep this very professional. Uh, it's no, not my the, game. I don't do that. Yeah. I keep things professional. Uh, I got to say, there, maybe it was because, you know, we didn't have the most recent data, but I feel, felt like this was a very prospect-heavy draft and that yeah. there weren't that many surprises. Like, there were a lot of ranked top 30 prospects picked in this draft, and maybe that's because they're a little safer. Uh, again, if MLB Pipeline has a bunch of reports on these guys, you know clubs have the same thing. Um, so Jose Soriano uh, getting picked number one in the Rule 5 draft by the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, coming from the Angels system. He was somebody I included in my, in my preview because he's got you know, a, a fastball that grades out at a 70, and he's got you know, a, a curveball that can be an above-average pitch. That's really all you need to be an okay, effective major league reliever. So yeah, he hasn't pitched above class A, but the stuff is there and he's a well-known prospect. 
felt like he was going to be potentially picked. Garrett Whitlock, if you had to ask me to bet on somebody who I definitely thought was going to get picked, Garrett Whitlock was that guy uh, coming from the New York Yankees system. Used to be, I think he was like number 16 in the system at one point. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, yeah, he, he's usually more of a sinker baller type. Um, he struck out 57 and 70 in the third innings at double A uh, in 2019, but he had Tommy John surgery. One thing we should point out about rule five is that, yes, you need to stick on the major league roster for the entire season. That being said, if you are put on the injured list, you need only need to be on the active roster for 90 days before you officially are at having considered to have stuck. Um, so Garrett Whitlock by the reports, from himself, he's pointed. He put, he's posted some Instagram video of this. He's up to 98 this fall, coming off that Tommy John. So I don't think the Red Sox necessarily uh, are worried about him being unable to pitch in April and May. But hey, if they want to put him on the the IL, maybe even the 60 day IL, allow him to rehab through the minors a little bit, exhaust as much rehab time as he can get, and then he has to stick for 90 days, and that still works. The, they'll they'll do that and we know the red sox need pitching that was a major issue for them in 2020 garrett whitlock getting a former top 15 prospect in a system that's pretty good for the yankees um always felt like a kind of a slam dunk um a couple others that i want to point out real quick jose alberto rivera goes from the astros to the angels uh he was somebody i always thought was going to be picked as well some of the reports out there are that he can hit 102 and you just want that in your camp. You just want to see a guy who's got a potential 80 grade fastball just to see what he can do with it. Again, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you can mold everything else. If he's bringing velocity, that's great. That's a great place to start from because 102 major leaguers aren't even seeing that every day, even with the increased velocity we're seeing in the majors. Uh, if there was one that I was kind of surprised by, to be honest, it was uh, Luis Oviedo uh, going from the Cleveland Indian system. He was originally drafted by the Mets. The Mets flipped him to the Pittsburgh Pirates. So now the Pirates have two picks. Uh, it's believed to be cash considerations there. So essentially the Pirates are just buying another rule five selection. Oviedo used to be one of the best pitching prospects in the Indian system, um, but he's had some injury issues uh, only through 87 innings last in 2019 at class A advance had a 538 ERA wasn't striking out a batter in inning, which is what, what you kind of need to see from rule five picks to make that work. He is pitching in the Venezuelan winter league right now. Sounds like his velocity is back to the upper nineties, which is great. Uh, but Oviedo for somebody who, you know, I thought was just too far away and had too many question marks, even if his ceiling was relatively high, I just didn't think he's somebody who stick. Maybe he won't stick, you know, like that's, that's just something we'll have to, uh, keep an eye out for, but I, I think I said he pitched at class A advance. What I meant to say was class A. I'm still getting turned around by what Lake County is now, uh, but he, he's only pitched at class A. So that was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, some of the other ones that I, I think could absolutely stick. Uh, one I, I want to throw out real quick is Kyle Holder um, as somebody who can play multiple positions. Uh, he's moving to the Phillies organization. The Phillies kind of need infield help. He can play multiple spots. He's really, really gifted defender. You can hide his bat much easier that way. Uh, we'll see where he kind of fits. He's going to at least need to hit some to justify a major league spot, but given the major league roster situation and his skills, I think Kyle Holder is a, a good, decent chance to stick there with the Phillies. And then uh, Brett DeGoose uh, from the Dodgers system. No surprise that teams are willing to raid the Dodgers uh, because the goose is somebody we saw go from a 33rd round pick coming out of junior college, uh, getting to the point where now he's on major league doorstep. He had a one seven, five ERA 72 strikeouts and 61 and two, two thirds innings. He's pitched in the Arizona fall league. This guy, you know, has the stuff. He's got multiple pitches. Um, he's got a fastball that throws in the mid nineties. Both of his breaking stuff uh, gets above average grades at times. So he seemed like he'd be able to work from a bullpen, uh, the Rangers right now, they are in a rebuild, much like the Pirates are. Uh, they're going to give him a lot of leash to make that club and and take from what he did in the Dodgers system. If there's anything the Dodgers do really well, it's take you know lower prospects and really mold them and develop them really well to make them into major league caliber. Texas could enjoy the, uh, the finished product here with the Goose. We'll, we'll see how things go uh, this spring. One thing, the thing about the Rule 5 draft that, 
you always have to look back on is it feels like some of these guys have a good chance to stick. And then you look at the end of the year and there's maybe two or three guys who actually made it out. Uh, Oakland A's actually the last pick of the entire draft on the major league portion was Danny Jimenez, who the giants took last year in the rule five draft. They gave him two appearances and sent him back to the blue Jays. Now the A's want to get a look at him. Um, you know, he's got a good mid nineties fastball and a, a decent slider. It wasn't enough for the giants last year. Maybe the A's can unlock something in that, but he's somebody who's been through this process and is about to go through it again. So you want to say it's going to go 18 for 18. You want these guys getting their major league shots and, and sticking around for all year. But I'd be really, really surprised if it's more than four or five who, who are together uh, through, you know, this time next year. This is the busiest December 10th podcast for a baseball show that we probably ever could have asked for. I would agree with that. Yeah. Not, I mean, not a bad thing. No. Well, the, the other thing insane. I'll say this is that normally this is the winter meetings and we're talking about other transactions. Right. I, I remember a couple of years ago being in, in DC or national Harbor uh, when it was outside DC. And that was when Yohan Mankata got traded. Remember that? Yeah. Like the Chris yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. And it was at the same time that Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez and Dane right. Dunning got traded for Adam Eaton. And that deal is hilarious to look back on now because we've had just this past week, we didn't get to talk about it because there's too much baseball stuff going on. Dane Dunning gets traded again. Right. Uh, and, and Adam Eaton signs with the White Sox again. And uh, we'll, we'll see if they bring back Drake LaRoche. <laughs> you think that's going to happen? The big moves. The is big he, moves. He's got to be like 45 now. <laughs> no, I would imagine he's like 17. Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering if he's like, could we, could he be signed as a yeah, draft eligible free agent or something? He's, anyways, a, he's a leader, as Adam Eaton told us. Yes. A leader. Uh, so I've been told. Um, but Dane Dunning went to the Texas Rangers just to close the loop on that. Uh, top 100 prospect. Pitched pretty well there. He was basically in the discussion for the White Sox number three. Uh, spot going into the playoffs traded for Lance Lynn pretty significant upgrade for the White Sox but the Rangers get what is now their best pitching prospect and uh you know another another top 100 name to add to the pile next to Josh Young and uh um, Sam Huff so uh you can catch up on all the rule five draft news at milb.com Sam's got a great story that is up on the site right now and uh coming up Sam and Ben with a, a weekly conversation they've just squeezed me out of it I never get to talk to Ben I'm sorry no, it's not your fault. Sam and Ben coming up next. Well, we're bringing Ben on to the show now. Ben, I'm looking out my window right now. The sun is setting at 4.44 on Thursday as we uh, record this segment, your segment. Uh, it's just, you know, kind of getting me down that it's the end of the day. It feels like it's it's been a big week. Today has moved by really quick. But how are you doing uh, it's been a big week for minor league baseball as, as we all kind of get caught up on things. Yeah, very, very big week for minor league baseball, uh, obviously. And yeah, I kind of share your maybe sense of melancholy, perhaps a tad of uh, ennui. You know, I'm looking out my own bedroom window and seeing these trees with no leaves as uh, the sun goes down fully. And there's just kind of a depressing vibe about it. But sometimes, you know, it's also beautiful in its own way. But as for minor league baseball, yeah, huge week. I mean, where to begin? Uh, we're not uh, we're not officially yet with everything happening, but obviously uh, Wednesday was uh, the, pretty much the biggest news day for minor league baseball. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe in minor league baseball history, certainly in the length of my career. Um, you know, the invitations are out and uh, still ways to go before they're fully accepted, and we have the full makeup of the farm system, but um, and the, the affiliates and just the whole landscape, but. It was nice to make that huge leap towards some clarity after uh, what seems, you know, we're all losing track of time, but what just seems like so many months of uh, uncertainty. Yeah, and we should kind of reintroduce this. Obviously, Tyler and I talked about this a lot in the opening segment uh, on this week's show. But, um, you know, as things stand right now on Wednesday, uh, 29 of the 30 major league clubs came forward and announced who were getting invitations and invitations is a, is a big word there. Uh, invitations to become partners uh, on the minor league side, each team inviting a triple A, double A, class A advanced and class A team to the farm system. Uh, some of these looking very similar to what they used to, uh, maybe some flipping between class A and class A advanced. Some of these looking incredibly new, uh, made out of whole cloth. 
Um, when you've kind of gone through this, then as we've gotten about 24 hours now to settle in and, and have this kind of wash over you, um, given it, looking at these, these invitations and if everything falls into place and, uh, you know, everything's not settled yet, but given the invitations and where things stand now, what stands out to you about the, uh, you know, within these first 24, 36 hours of looking at these? Well, a lot stands out. Um, as someone who, you know, is a, maybe a life strategy, but also something good to do professionally. Um, you know, I made this point on Twitter yesterday, but, you know, it was just such an emotional whiplash uh, following all this yesterday because you just see a tweet from someone who was heartbroken, uh, finding out that their favorite team or the team they work for is no longer affiliated. And then the very next tweet would be someone just ecstatic about a, uh, an invitation that their team received. And, you know, it was like that all day, just, uh, you know, the ups and downs and all over the place. So, I mean, for my purposes, I don't want to ever, you know, not say that there isn't a lot of uh, you know, people upset by this uh, or, you know, who are kind of left, you know, on the outside looking in. But I, I guess my own takeaways were looking at the team's um, that maybe were a little uncertain when all this began and talk about restructuring began, um, you know, who were remaining uh, in the affiliated ranks. And so I just had some real positive moments just as someone who's covered this industry for a long time with teams like, for example, you know, the Daytona Tortugas, um, you know, staying in the Florida State League and uh, being a Reds affiliate. And, um, you know, that's just such a wonderful ballpark, Jackie Robinson ballpark, the only Florida State League ballpark, you know, that's not a larger spring training facility. Um, just tons of history there, quirky, charming. And uh, that's the kind of thing I was like, oh, that's awesome. Uh, in the same way, you know, we kind of got a head start on some of this, founding out about the New York Mets affiliates uh, a couple of weeks back or a month ago. Again, time has kind of lost meaning. Uh, but, you know, finding out about Binghamton is staying in the Mets A team. And then similarly in the same league, same, roughly the same area, uh, the Erie Seawolves we found out yesterday uh, are also staying with Detroit AA. And that was just another one where I was like, oh, that's great. I uh, love the Seawolves and, and love to see that, uh, that market continuing. They've made a lot of ballpark improvements, great front office staff. Uh, so things like that. Uh, I'm certainly intrigued, you know, by the St. Paul Saints becoming the Twins AAA affiliate. I mean, obviously makes sense from a proximity standpoint. You know, I tweeted today, you know, those teams are only 10.6 uh, miles away from each other. Um, and not only that, there's actually um, public transit, a light rail that runs between the two ballparks, uh, St. Paul Saints and Minnesota Twins, like on the same line. So it's just like, I think, really unique that on the same, you know, local public transit light rail line, you can ride. And it's the terminus of both ends, Target Field and uh, St. Paul, where you can walk in about 0.2 miles to CHS Field where the Saints play. Uh, so that's kind of a really cool thing. And the Saints, you know, just uh, be our job being, you know, affiliated baseball uh, through the years, um, you know, I didn't really cover the antics of independent teams. And uh, the Saints have always been, uh, you know, big proponents of being really uh, boundary pushing and crazy promotions. And I would always kind of pay attention to what they do. So I'm interested to see what, uh, you know, they have a traditionally kind of renegade spirit and now to be a triple A team, just, you know, 10 miles away from their parent club. And they said yesterday, like, we're not changing how we're operating. So I'm looking forward to uh, a lot of that stuff and hope they keep that irreverent uh, kind of renegade promotional spirit and being able to cover that more directly. Uh, so something like that is I'm um, excited for. And so that just barely, you know, skims the surface. Of course, go to the site, milb.com, and uh, you can check the uh, list of uh, all the invitations that have been extended thus far. Yeah, Sam mentioned they have to be reviewed and, uh, you know, and then accepted. And, you know, so this process will continue, but uh, a lot of clarity has emerged. Uh, as I said, a lot of ups and downs, um, but there's still a lot of baseball that's going to be played, you know, 120 minor league teams, uh, Pioneer League and uh, other partner independent leagues falling under the Major League Baseball umbrella. Of course, the reconstituted Appalachian League, Summer Collegiate, uh, the Draft League, which we've talked about in the past with some New York Penn League teams. So there's a lot falling under this larger umbrella and I uh, hope to be able to you know, cover as much of it as possible. Yeah, and, and one thing that stands out to this to me that um, you know, I get to ask you is that part of the reason why this happened, at least that's what we're being told by Major League Baseball, is to consolidate some of these affiliations. It it's, hasn't worked everywhere, but in some places, I think about Miami Marlins now fully not fully, but three out of the four are going to be in Florida uh, for the affiliates for, for the Marlins. And they also got 
uh, Beloit, which led to a funny map on Twitter the other day where it looked like Beloit was essentially in Georgia. But anyways, putting that to, to the side, <laughs> when you look at this and you know, part of your job is to, is to go on road trips and knock on wood, you're able to go on road trips in the 2021 season safely and effectively. Is there any part of you that thinks maybe you could do like farm system road trips based on that, like just hitting up all the affiliates in, in one farm system? Have you put any thought in something like that? You know, I haven't started, of course, you know, haven't started drawing up the itineraries, but yeah, um, you know, proximity has always been key in affiliations. And, you know, when we did this the old way, with uh, affiliations expiring on at the end of every even numbered year, you know when when there were, we were covering that and analyzing that uh, proximity was something that all that teams are always looking for. Um, you know, both for obviously so the players can get to the big league club as soon as possible, especially important in the AAA context, and also you know for fans too, uh, you're going to probably be more invested in the outcome uh, on the field at a minor league game if you're also a fan of the parent club and you're like, oh, these are my guys. You know, I want to really pay attention to this guy right here because uh, I expect to see him playing for my favorite major league team. And from a road trip perspective, yes, uh, you know, with less teams, uh, you know, four, te- four full season affiliates for every team, and a lot of them, as you said, clustered, you could legitimately put together uh, road trip itineraries that would be uh, pretty, I don't want to say easy to do. As a veteran of making itineraries, you know, you <laughs> to line up those home and road schedules, and sometimes something easy is not nearly as easy as it seems. Uh, I've gone, I've put my fist through a wall practically trying to figure out itineraries in the past, but, um, and not just me, but just, I know there's a lot of people who as uh, time and money allow, you know, love to go on ballpark road trips. And those are some of the people I interact with the most. And I'm sure a lot of people, uh, you know, can see that sort of opportunity and, and see the entirety of a full season farm system and pretty much the entirety of that team's, you know, affiliated minor league farm system outside of the complex leagues. Uh, to really be able to say, like, I could see all those teams in the course of, you know, again, if the schedule's align, you know, even in the course of a long weekend, and, and maybe the Major League Club as well, <laughs> you know, so I think that's a, a really cool thing, uh, you know, to be able to more easily put to contextualize the minors under uh, that umbrella of being all having the same affiliate, which in the past uh, has clearly not been too easy to do, unless you're maybe talking about Cleveland or Baltimore or Philadelphia minus Clearwater, that sort of thing. But, you know, things can get real far flung real fast in the past, and that's not going to be the case anymore. And, and I know you and I have I've talked about this a little bit in the past, but one that always intrigues me, uh, and even more so now, is the White Sox system and the way that's constructed and that you could basically hit up all four affiliates probably over a four- or five-day stretch, uh, but it would all be in the South. Between yeah. Charlotte, Birmingham, Winston-Salem, and Kannapolis. You wouldn't even sniff Chicago, but you could see all the full-season affiliates for the White Sox. So that's that's a uh, neat little thing to point out. Yeah, go on a Carolina's vacation and uh, check out all the White Sox prospect. That is a unique one. But, yeah, they, they kept things the same, even though the proximity to themselves does not work out. Uh, the proximity from club to club uh, works out really well. And as I've said many times in the past, and this will continue, uh, whether it's affiliated or not, uh, the Carolinas are some of the best places to just uh, explore baseball and you know, explore minor league baseball and explore, you know, the reconstituted Appalachian League and points beyond. So there's still going to be a lot uh, to cover and a lot to explore and uh, really waiting, looking forward for, uh, you know, the dust to settle even more and for life to hopefully knock on wood, get normal. And there's going to be a lot of places to go for me and, you know, for everyone who, who loves minor league baseball and who loves uh, exploring America through baseball. <laughs> No, for sure. And uh, one thing that also changed, you know, we're talking about hopefully for next year, unfortunately, we're still living here in the present. Um, One thing that changed this week was the fact that uh, the winter meetings was canceled. We're not talking right now from uh, our hotel rooms or something like that in Dallas. Um, You know, we both had to stay home. The winter meetings went virtual, which sounds interesting. It's not really something that um, affected a a great big impact big piece of the industry in terms of people getting involved in, in virtual meetings and, and things of the like, or lots of trades happening this week. There was one between the Rays and the Rangers, but uh, it, it was different this year. There's no, there's no way to get around that. Um, ben, but you had a, a recent piece kind of looking back at, at what are meetings of old uh, and, you know, looking back at that piece, what were some of your takeaways and um, what is something that maybe you miss most or are thinking about most this week now that we are not actually having the winter meetings? Yeah, well, on a personal level, um, the winter meetings are, are 
are huge for networking and socializing. And uh, yes, that can often be fun. Um, it gets exhausting, but it can, but you know, that's such an important element of the event. You know, for me as someone who covers the entirety of the sprawling industry, uh, to get so many people in one place, to put names to faces, to have people introduce themselves to me and vice versa, to, um, to you know, get information and, and to be tipped off to store something that will become stories down the line and X, Y, and Z, it's, um, you really can't beat that in-person experience. So I, I definitely uh, miss that. Um, and then kind of what I highlight in the story you mentioned is that one thing I've always taken pride in, you know, on a professional level of going to the winter meetings is, you know, so many media members descend on the winter meetings, but they're virtually all Major League Baseball writers, and many of them are covering their specific Major League team. And that's fine, but I always loved that what the winter meetings is at its core, a minor league baseball event. It had historically traditionally been organized by minor league baseball in terms of picking the host site and uh, you know, setting up all the logistics. So Major League Baseball was essentially a guest of minor league baseball in the winter meetings context. So there was so much stuff going on with the winter meetings. And I always just took pride in being able to find stories to tell that literally no one else was doing, no matter how many people were in the media room. I always felt like, well, cool, but I'll talk to the guy who just won the King of Baseball Award you know, for uh, you know, a lifetime of service to the industry. Or, you know, as I pointed out in the story, you know, you, you didn't expect this going in, but one year I uh, interviewed Bubba Watson because he's a Pensacola Blue Wahoos co-owner. Uh, this is not in the story, but another year I talked to uh, Ron Shelton, the uh, director of Bull Durham, because he was at the winter meetings uh, workshopping and pitching a Bull Durham musical, which I don't think really went anywhere. So there was just so many uh, angles to explore. And of course, the trade show, always had to cover the trade show. I think I did too many trade show articles, but you know, it, it was always just something still to walk into that room and just see this massive setup, all with vendors related to baseball, whether it's skill-based, you know, for players or just the things that teams need to run operationally. Uh, it, it was just really cool to walk in there and get a sense of all the things that are needed to run a baseball team and to see so much of it in one place. Uh, the job fair, of course, you know, for years I recruited um, job seekers to keep journals of their experience at the job fair, um, you know, as they looked for employment, often for their first job in the industry. Uh, so there's all these overlooked aspects of uh, the winter meetings that go far beyond uh, the free agent signings and the trade rumors and Scott Boris making an appearance uh, and media scrums forming uh, over him. Uh, of course, that's what gets the attention and that's fine. But I, I love to think about all the things that aren't in the public eye and uh, shining my own small light on those. Yeah. And it's the job seekers that I, I kind of want to touch on next. Um, you know, so much of the industry right now is kind of on hold. We just had an entire season lost uh, to the coronavirus pandemic and um, you know, the, the country as a whole, it's, it's tough to find people hiring, never mind in baseball. But now is the time in which so many times we see uh, people dressed up, walking that lobby with their resume in hand, their card in hand, whatever, uh, trying to find that next spot. Have you talked to anybody or, or seen out there in the industry about how that's changing? I'm sure that what jobs can be filled right now are being done. You know, the interviews are being done over Zoom, like everything else, like this discussion we're having right now. Uh, but what, how is that area of what the winter meetings would be pivoting this year? Yeah. I mean, I think it goes without saying there's a lot less jobs available, uh, with the law, you know, just much less revenue and ability to, you know, hire new people. I mean, I think in a lot of cases right now, it's going to be where possible getting people back, you know, who are furloughed, you know, now that there's a little more clarity emerging. Uh, but, you know, there's teams still don't have schedules. They still don't have, uh, a lot of the, like the core things they need to build around a season. So they're going to, you know, if they've let people go, they're going to need to beef up their staffs, but there just aren't as many opportunities right now. Uh, Cause I think teams are looking like to start out, they're going to have to be a little leaner. And the, again, there's a lot of people who are in the industry who want to get back into the industry. So in terms of starting fresh um, yeah, it's done online. I'm not exactly sure where the jobs are being uh, posted right now. You know, this was traditionally the PBEO job fair, the professional baseball employment opportunities. And uh, I'm not sure to what extent that's operational right now. It's a good question. I need to look into kind of what the centralized place is for baseball jobs right now, because I don't know. Um, and the fact that I don't just kind of shows how little, you know, we've seen people 
talk about that just gets everyone's in the state of uh you know suspended animation just kind of waiting for it to all figure out of course we're, we're closer than we had been but just like with so many other things uh in the world it's uh kind of tough to break in right now with uh still not knowing exactly when the season will start still operating lean after losing last season not being able to meet people in person uh i think it's going to be pretty slow going but uh like anything else you know this is a phase and uh there's still going to be a lot of people, as we mentioned, there's still going to be a lot of teams, whether it's affiliated, whether it's independent, whether it's summer collegiate, um, and you know, they all need employees. So those opportunities will be there. And I'm sure they're emerging now and they will continue to emerge. And uh, just one more on this point, let's look forward a year in 2021 uh, winter meetings. Hopefully we're doing this again from, from a hotel room and, and, you know, we're, I don't even know where they are Actually, next year. You know we're where the Gaylord Opryland Hotel. Oh man! All right. Well, I, I always wanted to go to Nashville, so maybe I'll go there to see a Sounds game before then. But either way, that's something I look forward to for next year. Um, but yeah, gaze into that crystal ball of yours and kind of look forward at what 2021 winter meetings could be. Like, what do you think it's going to be like to have the entire industry? Hopefully, you know, lots lots of hurdles to clear before we get there, but if everything goes well over the spring and the summer and we can all gather again and all travel again, you know, what do you think that's going to be like to have everybody? Do you think it's just going to be like normal again? Do you think people are going to go over the top? Like what, what do you expect that to be like? Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of areas, life will be kind of surprised by how quickly things get back to normal once they do. So I'm still there. A lot of the aspects that defined in the past will remain, even if it's uh, even if the specifics vary, I know just like anything else, it's just going to be that much more intense in terms of, uh, you know, the socializing. I, th I think probably even, you know, more beers will be drank. <laughs> it's uh, an industry that definitely likes to, uh, to have some alcohol when they socialize and, and not have, and having to do that alone in 2020 or, and, and not, you know, have those connections. I, I think there will be this sense of, uh, you know, catharsis of being like, Hey, we're back. We made it through and let's go. <laughs> you know, I think that's what it's going to be. It's, it's, more than the event itself, it's going to be the spirit behind it of like, woo, let's go, let's do this. And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, maybe three pianos in the bar. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nashville, yeah, your piano bars are going to have to even get even more piano-ier because when, when the industry comes to town and there's not going to be enough piano bars to uh, fit them all. All right, fair enough. Well, uh, before we let you go, Ben, we just quickly, we're just going to point everybody back to the site and um, promos of the decade. We talked a lot about that in, in the past couple of weeks. You had one on 2016 this week, looking back at the top promos from that year. What, what kind of stood out in your memory of that real quick? Yeah. Well, as we've talked about this series, uh, you know, theme jerseys of looking back 2014 theme jerseys really broke through 2015. I pointed out how Fresno tacos, you know, were the first food-based identity and 2016 is kind of really uh, building off that. And if you remember the Lehigh Valley, uh, cheese steaks, you know, being one of the huge ones of the year and uh, the Bowling Green bootleggers having a whiskey based uh, alternate identity. You know, those are two big ones. Uh, the Altoona Curve, you know, Sam, you're the Star Wars guy, but first and only and probably forever, the only minor league team to wear a Jar Jar Binks jersey. You know, Lord, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, so it's, um, it's fun to go back and look at that. And, uh, yeah, uh, I've done every year since 2010 up to 2016, and uh, I plan before the year is out to wrap that up. And even though if that kind of article can get lost in the shuffle, you know, during a crazy time, uh, I'd like to think that all of them together, you know, will be still a good resource for people, still something that's, uh, you know, that educates and informs and that once I've kind of put them all together and be like, here's this full decade long promo retrospective. Uh, I do look at this as a big picture project that I hope has value going forward. And at least it's something I can continually refer to as I'm trying to make sense of my own uh, long and hard to contextualize career. Be like, oh yeah, what was happening that year? There you go. You know, basically I'm just writing for myself so I can find information easier in the future. Fair enough. Well, uh, you know, I, we're still setting up a schedule. We're not sure if we're going to have one show after this or two shows after this, but uh, you know, the, the way you've looked back at each year, of the decade so far. Uh, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of homework. And next time we have you on the show, Ben, or whenever the last show of the week, year is, whether that's next week or in two weeks, um, just to look back on all 2020 encapsulated. I know 
it wasn't a lot of promos, but there was so much that happened this year. So we're going to recap that then and looking forward to having you back for that. Oh yeah, I'll be ready. And you know, I, I work ahead. I gave a speech at the uh, Innovator Summit, which was virtually virtual this year with a lot of 2020 highlights. So as I was saying before, I can just go back into my own work and find it easier because I've done it already. You know, I really think ahead. You, you can't pull one past me. I'm, I'm Ben Spitz. You are Ben Spitz. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Sam. Saying goodbye for this week's episode of the show before the show. Hopefully, we were able to shed some light on what happened with Major League and Minor League Baseball this week. But again, if you have questions, we have answers for you. You can get in touch, podcast at MILB.com, on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB, and at Tyler Mon. And before we get out of here, Sam has this week's Nationwide Prospect Fact of the Week. Yeah, so normally Dane Dunning's trade would probably lead our discussion uh, at the beginning of, of this broadcast. But, you know, other things got in the way. That's just the way... Minor league baseball worked that week, but I do want to revisit it. If we're going to have a prospect fun fact at the end of this, might as well revisit Dane Dunning. And uh, one thing that always stands out to me with him, we talked about how he, this is his second big time trade. He's also been traded uh, from the Nats to the White Sox in a winter meetings deal himself. Um, That came six months after he went 29th overall in the draft coming out of the university of Florida in 2016, that 2016 university of Florida team might be like the most loaded with minor league and major league names that I've seen in the last decade. Uh, Just out of players who were drafted in 2016, there was AJ Puck, Pete Alonzo, Sean Anderson, Buddy Reed, Logan Shore, and of course, Dane Dunning. Dane Dunning had to work out of the bullpen as a junior because they were so set on starters that year. Some other guys who were on that 2016 team that you also may have heard of Alex Fado, Jonathan India, Jackson Kawar, Logan Shore. I don't know if I said Logan Shore before, but I'm going to say him again. And Brady Singer. Crazy. That's a good collection. Yeah. That team didn't win the 2016 College World Series, which flabbergasts me, of course. But, uh, you know, I think just the way that tournament is devised, weird things can happen. That was the year Coastal Carolina came away with it. Yeah. So it was kind of like a weird year. It's Um, the only year that I have ever gone to the College World Series. Oh, how was my that? Only, my only time. It was very fun. It was very hot, but it was very fun. Mm, I'm very yeah. jealous. I've never been. It's so great. I'm very jealous. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that if it has that feeling, I don't think the college baseball game existed, the video game, uh, for multiple reasons. Um, but did you ever have like on the college football side, Tyler, or maybe on the college baseball side, like a team you always played with? Oh, they were just like so fun to play with in EA. The University of Nebraska, Sam, my alma mater. And because uh, an MVP baseball, the college edition for PlayStation 2 at the time, uh, one of the very few actual ballparks that existed in that game was Haymarket Park, which was like two blocks away from where I lived in Lincoln, Nebraska, in the Haymarket. So, yeah, I would always uh, play as the school that I was attending in the stadium that was right near my house. See, my, that my was back in our glory days, though. That was the that was the Java Chamberlain and uh, and Alex Gordon years. Right. Yeah. My my school had neither football nor baseball, so I couldn't play them in these games. Um, but I used to play. Uh, you know, this is funny to talk about now, but I used to play the football game as the Florida Gators, just because I loved running the option with Tebow. Like it was just so fun. And and one year I did a career mode, and Tebow got injured in the middle of the year, and that was the year. And I like. We brought in our backup, and I love this backup. This backup was so good. I was like, who is this guy? This guy should be known by everybody. That guy was Cam Newton. It's the one year ah, Cam Newton played in Florida. Yeah, um, yeah. So I feel like I discovered him that way. But like, Before he signed his big deal with Auburn. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but to go back to Sorry, my original Brian point. Sorry, Brian Stoltz. If that, if that game existed in 2016, I would go back and play with this team. That would be like just so much fun, just bringing arm after arm after arm out. Um being able to slug with Pete Alonzo and Jonathan India. Yeah. Uh, that, that seems like so, so Different. fun. So it's, it's been fun to see those guys also make it as far as they have and uh, continue to be big prospects or at, in some cases like Pete Alonzo rookie of the year and uh, major league record holders. So that is going to do it for this week's episode of the show before the show, get in touch with your questions and uh, we will do our best to give you some answers as we get closer and closer to the close of the calendar year, 2020. Thankfully, He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mom. We'll talk to you next week.
Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team.